Welcome to episode two of Wrestling Conversations. Uh, before we get into the interview today, I wanted to take a second to just say thank you um, to everyone that um, downloaded and listened to our first episode with Darren Corbin a couple weeks back. Uh, it's much appreciated. Um, I also wanted to announce that we have started a, a Twitter for the podcast. You can find us at RescConvoPod, W-R-E-S-C-O-N-V-O, P-O-D, but if you just search Wrestling Conversations, you'll find us that way um, as well. And so our guest today will be JT Energy. So JT is a wrestler uh, based out of the Midwest. We talk about how he was first introduced into wrestling, um, how he decided decided he wanted to start training for wrestling, um, the JT Energy character, and so much more. So let's get to the interview. Welcome everyone to episode two of Wrestling Conversations. Today our guest, JT Energy. JT, thanks for coming on. Hey, thank you for letting me be here. It's uh, I'm excited to do another podcast. This is one of my favorite things to do when I'm not actually doing professional wrestling. If I can talk about professional wrestling, I get excited about that. So it's one of those things where today was a long day. I laid down on the couch. I let my eyes drift asleep for a bit, and then when I woke up, I said, okay, it's time to do this. But whenever I get into these scenarios, I wake right up, and I'm ready to go, and I'm ready to talk. So I'm excited to be here, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's always my one of my favorite things to do is now that I'm starting to try to do my own podcast, like wrestling podcasts, that's something that I have, since I discovered them back in the day, that's probably one of my favorite things to do because I think people that are fans of wrestling that have no like experience of being inside the wrestling business. It's just fascinating the stories that people tell. So um, to me, this is just an honor to have you on. And well, we'll, I wanted to get started with um, kind of how you first discovered wrestling. What made you become a fan? What kind of um, drew you in? I'm not sure if you started as a kid, a little bit older. Uh, Walk me through that a little bit. I was a kid. Um, My story I always go to when it comes to how did my eyes lay upon professional wrestling is it always leads me back to the video store. Um, With me being a little older, I am a uh, 38-year-old man born in 1985, and I was lucky enough to live through the boom of uh, video cassette stores, DVD stores, uh, your blockbusters, your mom and pop shops, your family videos, Hollywood videos. There was a little video store by me that was called A to Z Video. And my mom would always take me and my sister on the weekends to go rent a movie or it turned into a movie and a game when uh, NES and Super Nintendo and Sega started to get big. So when you when I would walk in, I'd go to the left and there's this huge wall of all these Nintendo games and I would just stare at it. It probably wasn't as big, but being a little kid, you look up and you're like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Um, But the problem with the NES games is once you like got home, one, you hoped it would work because some of those NES games you would have to blow in or you'd have to clean them or clean your NES and it was hit or miss. Um. And the ones that did work, the graphics weren't all that great. And so when I first uh, rented like the initial WWF games, like I think there was WrestleMania or Steel Cage Challenge, the the picture looked cool uh, with Hulk Hogan or Andre the Giant or Big Boss Man. 
But when you get home, the graphics and the initial gameplay is atrocious because you're so excited to like professional wrestling as a little kid. And when you play those video games, you're like, this is awful. It's punch kick. You can barely do moves. There's only two buttons on the controller. It's so frustrating. Um, but as that wall wrapped around, it went to uh, the video games. Then it was like the kids movies. Then it was the sports like Sports Illustrated videos that used to be out. And then there was like the wrestling section uh, with all the Coliseum home videos. And the initial like first couple WrestleManias were kind of bland in the VHS boxes because it was just a black VHS box with this one color picture on it. So it didn't catch your eye uh, as much. But when you get into WrestleMania, like... uh four five six those are the ones that really start to amp up and they know exactly what they're doing with those videos in the video store and so i would see those uh characters like warrior hogan flair all on those uh vhs tapes and i was locked i would get one of those and i would watch that thing and those are long my mom yes. didn't realize that i was <laughs> buying like three hour long pay-per-views to sit at home and watch so i would sit there watch those over and over and i don't even know if i was like smart enough to like know that wrestlemania came at a certain time or rumble came at a certain time so i'm sure i was like watching them completely out of order trying to like piece stuff together in my head but the wrestlemanias were easy because it was like one two three right. um but that's initially where I fell in love with pro wrestling was watching those Coliseum home videos and, you know, getting to know the Macho Man, the Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan, Big Boss Man, Andre the Giant, Jake the Snake, all those larger than life characters that were so popular um, in the late 80s and early 90s. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's something, too, uh, that brings back memories for me, too, is like I, I grew up in a small town in Minnesota and we have a couple of video stores, surprisingly, and... I think for me, my the tapes that they had were I think WrestleMania 12 and then the 2001 Royal Rumble, and they never got anything new in ever. So I remember <laughs> I I rented those tapes each like seriously probably 50 times or more. Yeah. I mean, just would watch the same thing because it's just like I had some tapes at home. These were different ones I could watch every once in a while. But I, yeah. I just had this conversation <clears throat> with my wife the other day about how much we've just missed the video stores, even though that like streaming is great and it is what it is, but very nostalgic very nostalgic for me i i like the when when you think about things like the video stores and i i guess i can relate this let, let me relate it to action figures a little bit too right um so when you go to certain places it's exciting to walk into a place and have an idea of what you're hoping for but if it's not there you have to pivot you have to figure out what you want to watch so if I go and I go looking for action figures and I can't find the new stuff, I still want to get something. It's the thrill of the hunt. Um, but when I would go to those video stores, like if me and my fiance have some time on a Friday or Saturday night, it's like, what are you in the mood for? And you end up like watching a couple trailers on YouTube and then you like spend your five bucks to like sit at home and watch it. But driving somewhere going into a place, walking along the long wall of new releases, seeing what you want, and then like hoping it's behind it. 
like that used to be the craziest thing at like a blockbuster because they'd have like 50 copies of right. yeah. these new movies out and they'd be like nope sold out and i'm like sold out look at how many copies you have are you kidding me none and you never could do that and so then you'd have to be like oh we gotta walk around this tired old store what movie have i not seen that is somewhere in here but that's kind of the fun part because then you would like force yourself to either revisit an old favorite or maybe they'd always have what like rent for for two days or something like they tried to get you after a while they were trying right, to entice yeah. you and say no get a couple movies take them with you um so i enjoyed that because i liked walking into a place and just like figuring out reading the back of the movie like just having that physical media in your hand is a totally different experience that the a new generation does not understand or they won't have an opportunity to understand and it's like that's us being older trying to explain how things were and people being like what are you talking about the movie's on my phone right here it's in my pocket and i'm like i understand that and that's wild and you'll never know what i lived through yeah there's something different about that where like there's so much instant gratification which in some ways is good i think in some ways is bad and but now there's a different streaming service for like everything so i feel like we're almost at that point where it's like okay even 10 years ago if you had netflix that was like the be all end all of okay what you had access to they were still doing dvds at that point still too but yeah now i mean i feel like everything has its own streaming service so it's like you're gonna have to subscribe to like everything if you want to find the movie that you want so i don't know i kind of wish i kind of miss the old days there I, I do as well. And having stuff at your fingertips, I was just um, a, a little while ago, I had found a, a random MTV trading card that I had laying around that I brought back from my parents' house. And I asked my fiance, I go, I'm going to bring up a cartoon that used to be on MTV. And I want you to show me like, if you have any idea what this was. And I started to play it because I could just bring it up right on YouTube. And she's like, Oh, my God, no, this is disgusting. What is this? And in my brain, I was like, it's so wild that I can think of something or Google something, bring it up instantly and show someone something or share it and bring a bunch of other people's memories to the forefront of their mind just by showing a picture on Facebook and being like, hey, everybody, do you remember this? And maybe there's two or three people it pops across their feed and they're like, I haven't thought about that show in 25 years. What in the world? Thank you for sharing that. So. So yeah, definitely pros and cons. And I was gonna ask you about this at some point, but you kind of meant you kind of mentioned it right off the bat. So we'll talk about it now. So you mentioned action figures. So I understand you're a little bit of a collector yourself. What things um, at this point are you collecting? Uh, the collection has changed over okay. the years, very much so. Um, so I think, gosh, because because I've lived through so much, so many different variations of action figures coming out um the biggest thing that like makes an impact on me when i see an action figure now like it has to it has to strike me and i am i'm i'm not an order person um unless it's a absolute scenario otherwise i do not like to order stuff i love going to a walmart going to a target somewhere walking around the corner down that aisle being like did they get new stuff if they did am i too late like having that epiphany of the perfect moment of seeing that action figure for the first time and holding it and once i hold it i know within a couple of seconds if i'm putting it back or if i'm taking it with me um 
generally nowadays, the way I kind of do my collection is, does that person mean anything to me? So if like a, a new, like, let's say the new uh, Seth Rollins ultimate that's coming out, I'm going to have to buy it. Yeah. He's my trainer. He's he's the guy that got me or helped me into the business as far as providing a wrestling school that I was able to go to. So like Seth Rollins action figures, he means something to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, when like a new Becky Lynch gets dropped, uh, Becky has been down at that gym. Like I've had an opportunity to be in a segment on raw with her too she's my fiance's favorite wrestler like those are people when i see their action figures i'm like yes i absolutely am gonna get that um but being an active professional wrestler now i've seen some people do this um when you start to have an opportunity to work with people or work alongside people that's kind of like my I when a scenario happens where I'm lucky enough to be on TV or work alongside someone and there's an action figure that depicts that moment, I have to buy that action figure 100 percent. So like when I was part of uh, King Corbin's security team in 2019 and then they made a King Corbin ultimate figure, I had to buy that figure. I bought one so I could open it loose and pose it. Uh, and then one mint on card. And so what I would do is I went into the pay-per-view, pay-per-view or the SmackDown, because um, I got to do it twice. And like I took a, a good screenshot of me like holding his uh, his chariot. And I printed that out and put in a nice little four by six frame. And then I set the action figure right next to it. And I think eventually what I want to do is create like this little collection of just action figures with a picture next to it of the moment I had with that person and then just have them all nice and organized out. So if someone was able to come to my collection, they go, what are these? I go, those are all the moments that I got to make in professional wrestling alongside those people that I have action figures. So I still buy other, other random stuff here and there just for fun. If someone like, um, I bought Bianca Belair's action figure a couple years ago when I went to WrestleMania 38, just because I was in the the big WWE shop and they had this big wall of action figures. And I knew the the Biancas were the hard ones to get out of that. They weren't as plentiful in the packaging. And I saw one there and I was like, this is my moment. I'm going to buy one of these because I want to have a moment of WrestleMania 38. Um, so those are like the fun little things that I've picked up. And I've only gone to two WrestleManias, 31 and 38. And so I've told myself over time, I would also like to collect the action figures of those superstars depicting those moments or those gears from that event. So like Seth has his uh, elite Toys R Us exclusive Money in the Bank cash in one that I got. But there's also a WrestleMania 31 Roman Reigns elite that I do not have. And I really appreciate whenever the packaging does it. And they, if you flip it around the backside, it tells you exactly where that outfits from because it just makes it so much easier. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so like when I saw the new Pat McAfee basics get announced, I think one of those is WrestleMania 38, like the Johnny Knoxville, the Sami Zayn. Those are ones I know I'm going to have to pick up just because I was there. I got to actually see those moments. So when it comes to action figures and collecting, I'm a little loosey-goosey on some of the ways that I choose to collect, but 
generally that's kind of how everything is and i still have like everything i've ever collected when i started in like sixth grade uh because it's <laughs> i don't i don't part with too many things but i'm learning to part with stuff over time the older i get because i realize there might be someone out there that has a awesome let's say um ron simmons story because they got to work with ron or whatever mm -hmm. and if i have like a nation of domination Farouk that I don't need. And this person just told me the greatest Farouk story or Ron Simmons story because they had got to share that moment. Like I realized in that moment, like this figure means more to this person and I want to give it to them because they have a story attached to this person. And that's just a cool thing that you can do. The older you get is just give those things that you acquired away because someone else made a story out of something you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, um, I'm looking at all my stuff right now because it's all right in front of me here. And it's, sure. it's, I am not good at letting things go. So it's like, I always hear about people buying stuff, selling it off, whatever. I, I've never have been able to do it. I've never been able to convince myself to actually let anything go and get to that point where it's just like, I'm completely out of space. Cause like I have some <clears> wrestling <throat> stuff. I've got some like Marvel and DC stuff. Now I've moved into like six, um, one, six scale figures, which are like super expensive. So I got a few of those, sure. those take up a ton of space and um it's like yeah when your stuff is getting to the point where it's like this is worth almost as much as my car maybe it's time to pump the brakes a little bit but it's just one of those things that it's it's so much fun too that just again we talked about the uh, nostalgia of the video store same thing with collecting too it's like a piece of my childhood that i think i can keep kind of moving forward in a way so that's pretty awesome yeah. that you are also a fellow collector yeah i it's it's kind of like I, I would say I'm very surrounded with a lot of stuff that I have here in the home that I'm able to live in right now. But when I go back to my parents' house, there's still a ton of stuff there. And every time I go back, I try to like uh, bring like a tote worth of stuff back with me, whether it's old wrestling shirts, um, grabbing a couple figures, things of that nature, because I know eventually I got to take full responsibility for every single one of those things I chose to keep over the years. So it's been a lot easier over time when I like bring something back and I haven't seen it for a long time to like look at it and be like, do I know anybody that would really appreciate this? And I'll give stuff away left and right all the time now, especially older stuff, because mm -hmm. I look at it and I go, I haven't seen you in so long and I don't care. Or like I, I can remember, I have a stack of like posters from WWF magazines and I don't, they're just there like i don't need them there's multiple times where i like uh i have uh, the divas were notorious for having these absurd amount of posters every <laughs> right. single month right yeah and so like if i go back and i like open up and i like pull this poster out and it's a trish stratus poster and i look at it and i flip it over and there's another one on the other side and i go you know what thanks for the memory trish and i'll just rip that baby up and throw it away because i don't need it ever again i don't think anybody needs it ever again right. but I'm not going to go through the time and effort to try to sell those on eBay or whatnot or whatever it is. It's like, that was mine. I don't care about it anymore. I saw it one last time. Great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I probably have some stuff like that. It's like, do I really need this anymore? Probably. And the answer is probably no. Most of the time. No. I just, I just haven't gotten to that point where I'm like, Oh, I'm ready to let go. So maybe I'll get there someday, but I guess I'm not there yet. Um, so kind of going back to, to wrestling, and this is something I'm probably as just a fan and someone on the outside, obviously looking in the, 
the part that I'm probably most interested is how does somebody, you know, they grow up as a fan, they're interested in doing this. How do you get to a point where, hey, I'm actually going to make this happen and make this dream kind of become a reality? How did that process kind of happen for you? Uh, I would say I got very lucky when it came to the time frame of my life needing a serious change and also the social media platforms just starting to take off enough where like the perfect storm kind of happened for me. So <clears throat> I mentioned earlier that I went to, I went to WrestleMania 31 and I'd never been to a pay-per-view in my entire life. And living in Iowa, I was just, I was the kid who sat around. I waited for raw to come here or something somewhere or a live event. And I would go to it. So when it, what it, it was Christmas 2015, um, I was gifted two tickets to WrestleMania. And I like when I saw it, I was speechless. I didn't know if I was going to say anything. I didn't know if I was going to cry. And it was like, here's two tickets. Take whoever you want. Um, the only thing you got to do is you got to buy your flight. And I'm like, cool. Awesome. So I told my best friend. Hey, man, we're going to WrestleMania. So um, we go out to where was it? Uh, it wasn't SoFi Stadium. SoFi is just where they just were. Yeah, I'm um, blanking on where it was. It's the San Francisco 49er Stadium. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what they changed the name of it to, but it was WrestleMania push play. Um, I get out there. And we just walk into that stadium. And the funny part is, like, we walked around the day before, and I was out in the sun way too long. So I felt like garbage <laughs> the next day. So the first thing I did when I went into the stadium is I went to the bathrooms and I threw up. I puked my guts out. Oh, wow. That is that's my first <laughs> WrestleMania memory. And I'm not, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs. And I had had too much pizza and too much sun. And the first thing I did was throw up when I got there. And I could not believe it. In my brain, I thought someone's going to hear me puking in this restroom and they're like going to call the security on me and they're going to kick me out of out. WrestleMania <laughs> asking if I'm drunk or whatever. I was so upset, but we get there and when the pyro goes off, it's like adrenaline goes over my body. I don't care. Game on. We're here at WrestleMania. It's time to rally. Um, and to be honest, I think WrestleMania 31 is one of the greatest WrestleManias of all time. I and honestly, I'm gonna, I would agree with that too, where I just thought about that. And this was just coincidence because I had no idea this was kind of the moment for you. But I really do think that is very, very underrated. I think people look past that one quite a bit. So when I got to sit there and I get to see one of the greatest RKOs of all time, you get to see Sting's debut at WrestleMania because you get the NWO and you get DX. You get the whole thing there. Uh, you get the return of Taker after the streak ends and you don't know what things are going to be like with him and Bray Wyatt. You get the of John Cena match with a huge of entrance with the tank and everything. Um, and then we get to that main event and, oh, well, sorry. You also get the ladder match the Daniel Bryan liar match because he loses the title the next year. He leads off the show and he wins the intercontinental title in that awesome ladder match. But the moment that changes my life is that main event because 
you see Seth Rollins take that huge RKO earlier in the night, and you're just like, oh, my God, you forget about it, right? Mm-hmm. At the end of that match, you get the you get the moment, and then, boom, his music hits, and the whole crowd goes, no way, because he's the heist of the century, like Michael Cole likes to say. Goes down, hits the curb stomp, one, two, three. When that pyro went off, and he runs to the top of the stage and starts whipping the belt around. It's like the it's like the world went into slow motion for me because I'm watching him celebrate, I'm watching all the pyro go off. And I'm like sitting here with my best friend at WrestleMania. And the guy that's that just won the WWE title is from Iowa. And I'm from Iowa at this point. I've lived here for a long time. I wanted to be a pro wrestler. And I tell myself, I'm like, this is it. This is my sign that I have to try. And from that day forward, it was like made up in my mind. I don't think my I don't think my girlfriend at the time realized what she had set into motion. And that when I came back that I was I had made up my mind and I was going to become a professional wrestler. Um, so luckily enough, uh, I don't know what happened or where this came from, but I used to listen to like jim ross podcasts um Mm -hmm. and he would always talk about like lance storm school and then i heard about like michael elgin having a school and i think like just there's more wrestling schools that were popping up or more people were starting to talk about them Mm -hmm. and then out of nowhere seth rollins teams up with merrick brave to start the black and brave wrestling academy like three four hours from where i live and in my brain i'm like what the best wrestler on the planet just opened up a wrestling school. And at the time, my grandma, my last grandparent had just passed away and her, what, four grandkids that she had, she left them all a little bit of money. And I used my money to go to wrestling school. That was my, Hey, if she wanted me to chase my dream, this is it. So I moved to the Quad Cities. I sign up for the Black and Brave Wrestling Academy after being accepted. I start start training. I graduate April 2016. And now here I am in April 2023, representing three different companies in the state of Iowa as a champion at this point. And it's all because I just went to WrestleMania 31 and I watched Seth Rollins cash in the money in the bank. And that man has given me little bits and pieces of advice here and there, but the opportunities that I've had just from like that small little spark, Mm -hmm. it's like you have to do something that's really scary. You have to make that investment because you have to either fall on your face and fail and learn from it or succeed. And if you succeed, go to the next step. Try again. See if you succeed or fail. If you succeed, go to the next step. Like... And that's where I'm at. So if my wrestling journey has been wild, but every time I tell the story, like I'm, I can't believe that I've got to live this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's something everybody can relate to. Cause I know for me, I'm scared, scared to death of having something I want to do and then not doing it. I'm just that, that fact of, okay, I'm never going to know unless I try. So for you, everything kind of just lined up where, Hey, you saw Seth at WrestleMania, then X amount of time later, he's opening a school and Hey, it's three hours away. 
Yeah. So, yeah. Crazy how that all lines up. I mean, was, oh, go ahead. I was going to say it's it's a lot. It's it's scary for me to be like, oh, I moved four hours away and I joined a wrestling school. But there are people that come to Davenport, Iowa from Australia, New Zealand, England. Like, I, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody from like, um, any like deep parts of Asia that has come over here, but the amount of people that have traveled all across the world to come to the black and brave wrestling Academy is just outstanding and wild to think about. And it was scary for me to go four hours, but that's what you got to think. Like scary for you is totally different than scary for someone else. And that just, all you have to do is talk it out through your own head because you're the one that's getting through your own version of what scared is. So what was, what was training like for you? And obviously like, like you said, more schools have been popping up and you always hear mixed opinions of, of like the training process. What was that like for you? I personally like the training, um, but I don't know when I think of like training and different stuff. So like when it comes to wrestling training and what I see and what I've accomplished and what I do. So like I graduated from the black and brave wrestling Academy. It was a 12 week program. You have to do a ton of workouts. You have your set amount of ring time. Once you graduate, like once you graduate, like, you really aren't even like close to knowing right. and doing, you know, the absolute basics to not hurt yourself and not hurt another. And where, when I started wrestling, I also feel like that was kind of a perfect time because SCW, the place that I most often wrestle for, that's my home. They were transitioning out of using um, talent that they were bringing in because that's all that was available to getting a lot more students that were graduating from the black and red wrestling Academy onto these shows to give, give them experience over time. And I was in the fifth graduating class from the black and brave wrestling Academy. So it's like, I kind of fell in there and I was able to become a part of the roster. And once I was able to become a part of the roster and get some reps under me, then I was able to get in cars, branch out with other people and, help the Iowa scene flourish a little bit more and branch out a little bit here and there. But like when it comes to continued training, I've gone to seminars over the years. Um, I mean, each time I wrestle, I'm learning, but I'm, I'm very bad about being like during the week I hit the gym, I get my workouts in, I watch my wrestling to do my homework. I try to learn from what I've done and how to make myself better, more marketable stuff like that. But being a active professional wrestler and like seeking out the black and brave wrestling academy to get additional ring time i'm awful about that i live 30 minutes from a full-size wwe ring that's set up all the time that i could be in doing and learning and blah 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 and i don't i i i and that's my own fault there's probably some people that would listen to that and be completely disgusted but the amount of hours I have in my life right now, that's how I choose to be a professional wrestler. Um, and there's some people that live, breathe, eat, sleep, die pro wrestling. And if I was, I don't know, if I was 28, maybe it'd be a different story. 
um, but I started at 30. And this year, I'm hoping to, I'm, well, I shouldn't even say I'm hoping, I'm going to get married. And then I'm hoping to start a family here in the near future. And I'm sure my my professional wrestling journey will change. But when I try to like do the things that I like when it comes to pro wrestling, I like to use my brain and what I know and really like take the newer generation of students and people that are wrestling on shows and giving feedback and listening to them on how they tell their stories and they do their psychology and trying to give back to them that way because I'm not a super flashy guy. I can't do a million moves in the ring, but goddamn, I can be as entertaining as the next person. And just like Darren Corbin, like you had on, like I've never wrestled one-on-one -on -one Darren Corbin, but like, the amount of fun that I know I could have with that man is top notch. He is the type of professional wrestler that I love to watch and see because he really knows how to maximize his minutes in the ring. Oh, yeah. And that's mm -hmm. what I like to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for people that maybe haven't, haven't heard of you and I've followed you more recently. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to the AEW stuff. That's the first time I saw you live. I was aware of you before that. But for anyone that is not familiar with your work, how would you describe yourself as a wrestler or the character of JT Energy? I know that that's something uh, that, that has definitely evolved over time too. So, Oh, it really go, has. Go yeah. into that a little bit as well. So when I first got into professional wrestling, um, I think I think about myself very much in the way of like, if you're going to be someone... You have to be that person that when someone walks into the room, they go, who's that? What's that guy? That guy's, he, I don't, I don't know if I like him. I don't know if I don't like him. Uh, so when I first came out, um, I was JT energy and my nickname was the filth. You can't wash off. Um, so I wanted to like get in people's brains and I was kind of like a skeezy, filthy kind of dancing kind of guy. And I wanted to be that guy that when you left, you're like, oh, that guy just made me feel gross. And I think I did a really good job at that for yes, a long time. I would, I would say, so. I would say so. I would say um, so. And then I knew I'm very much into transitioning like nicknames, um, like a lot of like Chris Jericho. He had, you know, insane amount of names. That's what I like to do. So I transformed into the six star booty. So when we had the six star matches that were coming from New Japan, I said, well, you know, if there's one thing I can accentuate and talk about myself, it's going to be this backside and I'm going to become the six star booty. So it was me and my backside who were and that was when I got into uh, my initial tag team run with my partner, Jossie, who wrestles a lot up in Minnesota, and we were the tag team of Vicious and Delicious. Um, and that's where our characters really flourished. And we got to do some really cool things. And when I turned my back on him um, and separated that tag team, that's when I kind of transitioned away from uh, the six star booty and when COVID came around, that was not a lot of people did it. But in my brain, I was like, this is the built in injury angle that every single professional wrestler could utilize right now to completely revamp their character if they're not happy with it. We have to go away for a long time and then we can come back as whatever we want. So I went from the six star booty to the unsolved mystery. And 
when I transitioned to that, I wanted to like take aspects of like Jim Carrey's Riddler from Batman Forever um, and work that into myself. Um, is it Batman Forever or Batman Returns? So that one was that the Riddler was Forever, I believe. Okay, so that version of Jim Carrey, that's my that's my favorite Riddler. Um, and he was so like weird and insane and over the top. And I have a horrible hairline. And before this time, I was just shaving my head, bald head, clean, smooth guy. And during COVID, I was like, no, there's no reason to shave my head anymore. I'll just let this horrible hair grow. And we did, and it looked awful. But my fiance was like, oh, no, let me dye it. Like, we'll, we'll bleach it out. And she's like, I'll tease it, and it'll be crazy. And I'm like, perfect. This is great for the character. I'll look insane. So I became more and more the unsolved mystery, JT Energy. The guy has lost his brain. And that has transitioned over time. I lost a hair match, shaved my head, still go by the unsolved mystery. But over time, the unsolved mystery has kind of started to be solved. And JT Energy is much more of a, yes, I'm JT Energy, but now it's time to believe in the energy. And that's my current like hashtag because JT Energy's finally kind of transitioned into somewhat of a good guy. And what better way for me to give my fans something to reach back out and say than just believe in the energy. And that's what I try to portray now is put out that good energy that I've been holding in for so long because I've been such a good bad guy for so long. But if you watch JT Energy, I try to walk out and I give you that presence. I try to give you that moment. Um, I have a little, uh, it's transitioned over time. I used to just walk out with like a spray bottle and then the spray bottle transitioned into a mister and that mister turned into an automated battery powered mister, um, that shoots like this blue hue of light that goes all across <laughs> me. So it's, it's transformed into quite the act and thing, but when it comes to wrestling out there, I'm, um, Jeff Hardy is probably my biggest influence when it comes to who my favorite professional wrestler is of all time. We have that in common. Yeah. And Jeff Hardy, like he's always had like the moves, right? He makes the big spectacle of the moment. But what Jeff also does is like, he takes the time in between stuff to connect with the crowd and his eyes and how he resonates with people through his entrance and stuff like that. You want to see the whisper in the wind and the swanton bomb and all those different things. But you also just like feel Jeff Hardy whenever he wrestled. And that's what I've always kind of embodied on how I want to feel and give my presence off when people come out to see me or watch me wrestle. Mm -hmm. And something that stuck out too about you is you're somebody that in over time, I know this has changed too, has always <clears throat> put a lot of effort into your gear. So talk about that a little bit, because that's something that you've changed that up, but that's something I feel like, okay, you know, and you mentioned like Jericho where you're constantly evolving, constantly changing too. And I think that's something the gears I feel like can be a really important piece to keep that fresh. And you've definitely put a lot of effort into that. So talk to me about that a little bit. So when I think gear is, there's a couple aspects when it comes to being a pro wrestler that I think is extremely important. And one of them is gear um, because that is how you look. That is how you are presented. Even in like my initial, like first couple years as a pro wrestler, I had to try to find like that little niche that was different. And when I kind of found it, like I found the 
like the dollar store version of it. Like I was able to put the pieces together, but I wasn't able to put the flash and flare with it yet. Um, and over time, when you get deeper into the pro wrestling business, you kind of learn like, okay, well, who's good at making gear? Who do I reach out to? And you try one person and you're like, okay, I got some new stuff. And then over time, like you see another person pop up and you're like, Ooh, I like their stuff even more. So you reach out to that person. And I feel like if I could, if I had like uh, top tier money, the places I'm going is I want to invest my money into the gear. I, if I could, I'd be the person like a Cardona that every week, like, or every month, I should say, you're getting that new, fresh set of gear with that idea that just popped into your brain. But I, gosh, I can't even imagine. I mean, over time, if I've worked that long, I guess I could see selling gear. But like, those are like big, deep pieces of my career when I look at those things that I wore and those are my outfits. But the gear is the presentation of the character. So it does mean a lot. The colors, the logos, the the textures, like... Those are all things that you have to think of because when you're a character and you put that stuff together, like you have to look at what everybody else is wearing in the places that you plan to work and you need to be different. You need to stand out. You have to find that thing that makes you, you, um, because you don't want to come out. One of the things that I griped about this year on WrestleMania was that damage control had outstanding gear on night one. And then night two, when Raquel and Liv Morgan came out, they had awesome gear, but their color scheme looked so much like damage controls that I was like, mm -hmm. if someone hadn't watched WWE all year and they finally tuned to WrestleMania, they might be like, are those girls like with those other ones? Because they look so similar. Right, yeah. And you you can't do that. Like you, you want to stand out. You want to stand apart. Like when you looked at Seth Rollins gear this year, no one in their right mind was even close to that. No. And it's perfect. That's what you have to do. You have to stand so far out that no one touches you. Um, And this year, I finally, I've been riding. Um, so from like my thighs down for a long time, I've been very like uh, Sunny Kiss. Sunny's kind of got thigh highs with knee pads. And I thought that look was so unique that I, I, chose to kind of like play myself off that because I think it's so fun. And I was a trunks guy for a long time. And I finally was like, my body's changing. I'm choosing to look a different way. I go, I want to like freshen up my look. And so I chose to get like a singlet, but instead of it being like a traditional wrestler singlet, it's more of like a butcher singlet. So that way it's cut like trunks on the bottom, but I got my deep cut on the top. So my top is kind of like how Wardlow wears his, where it's cut very, very low. So you still see a lot of upper body, which that's why I wanted to accentuate. I didn't want to be like, look at my stomach and like just the six star booty and everything like that. It was all about the body and the tan and everything being so over the top. And as I've transitioned, I go, I need to present myself in a different way if I'm going to try to be a little bit larger professional wrestler. I want to accentuate different parts of my body. So when I chose to go with this look, I was like, okay, here's how I'm going to present myself over time. And it took me 
uh, six years before I chose to like get a completely different look or style. So it's one of those things where I think I had to eventually change it up. You know, that first time that Jericho went to trunks, you're like, this is a very weird version of Chris Jericho, but that's what he had to do. He yeah. wanted to be that new version. So that's what I wanted to do. Change it up. Um, but yes, if you are an aspiring professional wrestler, or even if you want to cosplay in some way as a professional wrestler, like there's some really great gear makers in this world. And all you have to do is DM them and send them some money and they'll make your stuff right. yeah. um, for everybody's got a price as the million dollar man would say. <laughs> so and you've had a lot of very like interesting matchups over your, your, over your career. Like you mentioned, Jossie, you've had lots of matches with Dante as well. Who's been killing it and Noah for, you know, a good, uh, a good while now. Something that I came across and this was a while back. So you had a match with Jerry Lawler. Was that 20, <laughs> was that 2020? beginning of the um year, it was 2019 okay. on my birthday okay <laughs> so that was something that it's just like i mean and i knew at, at this point i mean now obviously he's because of health and stuff is maybe not having any more matches but um at that point you know i knew he was still having matches but i hadn't watched jerry for you know quite a while so when i came across that that's just not something i ever expected so how did that come together for you well, so that's for a company called Central Empire Wrestling. And Austin Bayless, uh, he's the promoter, and he's also a former professional wrestler. And he wanted to start doing something in Iowa that wasn't really being done, which was like a Legends Fan Fest slash wrestling event. And so that was Bridge City Slam 2, if I'm not mistaken. And so... The first year he brought in Trevor Murdoch is just like a meet and greet. And we use the same venue, but we only use like half the size. And the next year he said, hey, I want to do Bridge City Slam, but we're going to do it big this year. We're bringing in like five people. And so it was um, Jerry the King Lawler. It was Hardcore Holly. It was Terry Runnels. I think who else? Those are uh, Mr. Anderson was there, Mr. Kennedy. And gosh, there might have been like Million Dollar Man might have been there. It was like four or five people. Um, and initially when I saw all the people that were going to be part of the card, I was like, awesome. Love this. Um, because I told him, I go, you as a promoter, you have the power to make things that we only dreamed about as kids a reality. And I think when I initially told him that at one point, it like stopped him in his tracks. And he's like, he has a lot of faith in me as a professional wrestler. And he's like, what do you want to, what do you want to do at Bridge City Slam? And I was like, I don't know, man. I just want to entertain the people. I want to be JT Energy and I want to have a match that everybody will talk about. He goes, okay, I see what I can do. And <laughs> this man messaged me and says all right it's going to be you against jerry the king lawler and i had to like read that five times because all i've ever known is for the past 10 years of my life is jerry the king lawler just announcing he was the voice of my childhood mm -hmm. and before that he was the dirty rotten scoundrel that bret hart wanted to beat up mm -hmm. he, that's what jerry lawler was to me um and I was like, okay, I don't even know how to do this. Cause I'd, I'd wrestled a couple people that had like 
some name value to them previously. But like Jerry Lawler was on another stratosphere. He was already a legend. He was already a Hall of Famer. And I didn't think this man was still wrestling. But I knew, I also knew like the kind of wrestling that Jerry Lawler did. And that's why I was like, this is money. This is perfect. You're telling me his character, my character get to come together. Yes, perfect. Um, so when it came to like the day of the show, we realized, okay, well, it's going to be you versus me. And we're going to spice it up a little bit because we're going to get Terry involved. And Terry came out before the match and said, whichever one of you wins gets a kiss from me. And <laughs> I think the whole crowd was like, oh, my God, I can't believe we're going to have Terry come out here, too. Um, And so when that match started, we didn't have to do anything. The crowd was just they yeah. were head over heels. Yeah. They couldn't believe they were going to see Jerry, Jerry Lawler wrestle. And they couldn't believe that I was going to be wrestling him. And just before this, um, I that's when I had my WWE match on Monday Night Raw against Eric Rowan. And so, like, in this uh, span of a month, I was, like, firing on all cylinders when it came to high high moments in my professional wrestling career. Um, so I was riding that high going into Bridge City Slam 2. And to start the match, I'm just talking my game and blah, blah, blah. And doing my dance moves and showing Terry what I got. And I said, what do you got King? And this man kicks me in the gut and hits me with a stunner immediately to start <laughs> the match, making the crowd lose their mind. And Jerry just goes into Lawler mode, just rocking me with these huge right hands left and right, and left and right. And he hits me with a drop kick. I was going to bring and... up the drop kick too. I, that, <laughs> that caught me by surprise a little bit, but he, he could still oh, man. a little bit. Yes. Dude, he could do it all. It was, it was amazing. And he, he, uh, he gets me where he needs me. And, uh, he thinks he, he hits me with that move and he thinks he's won. And I got my foot on the rope and he doesn't realize it. And he's going over to pucker up to Terry and get his big kiss. Cause he thinks he won. I run up behind him. I scoop him up and I pull the tights and get him for the one, two, three. And I think at that moment, the crowd was like, you faced Jerry Lawler and you cheated to beat Jerry Lawler. And so I'm there and I'm so excited. And, uh, I, <laughs> this was, I was using my little candy canes because I'd used them on Monday night raw. So, uh, I'd given one to Terry before the match and she says, come on over here. And she makes me pull my face out and she's like, shut your eyes. And she takes this candy cane and she shoves it into my mouth. And then she slaps the hell out of my face <laughs> and I go spinning around and then Lawler kicks me in the gut and it hits me with the pile driver. And I'm like, well, my life is made, yeah. you know, <laughs> a one in there. one in a million opportunity. And it was one of those things where, I knew the main event still had to go that night and they had like a knockdown drag out street fight for the CEW championship between two of like the heavy hitters that have built that organization. But there's just some, uh, there's some shows that I'm on where after the match, I'm like, man, I feel bad. Cause like, I don't know if you're topping that, like as far as like overall value for investment of what people were getting out of the emotions that you saw. Cause it's like, there's just some stuff. It's kind of like when uh, you watch uh, Sean versus Ric Flair at WrestleMania, like the emotion that goes into that match, because if you know what it means, it's like, it doesn't matter what else is on the show guys. Like 
that's why that's why Sean and Taker had to close WrestleMania when Sean's career was on the line because there was just so much built up. Like it didn't matter what else was on that show. <laughs> and that's how I kind of felt when me and Lala wrestled. I was like, man, good luck to the rest of the guys, but I'm going to ride this high for quite a while. And just being able to wrestle Jerry Lawler is one of the things that I'll never, ever forget when it comes to the things that little old me was able to accomplish just by going to a wrestling school and keeping his dream alive month after month, mm -hmm. just trying to get better. And you mentioned the, uh, the, the uh, match on raw with Eric Rowan, Eric Redbeard, and you've had a lot of extra opportunities come up in the last, gosh, what has it been eight months? So you've been, you had the, the segment with Bray Wyatt, you had AEW, you had Ring of Honor. And I was, and I, we talked about this off air too. I was actually at that AEW show where it was you, Jay Fowler versus The Acclaimed. So how did that kind of come together too? Because the, the extra stuff, like I honestly, it's like, I don't know how that stuff comes, you know, comes to be. And that was right at the time where they were getting just really, really, really hot as a team. And so I was there for the crowd and everyone Dude, was you... going insane and we had the christopher daniels <laughs> references going on to after that oh my gosh so talk about that a little bit all right so um aew at that time i almost had like written off in my brain right because um throughout covid and stuff i had seen so many of my fellow black and Bray wrestling graduates who had just as much experience as me or less start to get opportunities on aew dark and i started to ask myself I'm like, why am I not? Why am I not there? What am I not doing? Um, and I reached out to the appropriate uh, channels to get my name out there, pictures, uh, experience, blah, blah, blah. Because usually like the name of the game is when the big dogs come to town, like do they reach out to someone, you know, to book extras? Like, what is your radius that you reach when it comes to being an extra? And the first time I had contacted them and I was like, hey, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, ah, we don't have anything for you right now. Thanks for reaching out. And I'm like, OK, well, at least I sent the email. I got something back and they said sometime in the future. And I was starting to be kind of ho-hum on myself again. And I looked back and I was like, dang, I sent that email like over a year ago. I should send another one. And I didn't get around to it. And then like two weeks later, I get an email saying, this is so-and-so from AEW and we'd love to invite you to the target center for this taping and whatever. And I'm like, okay, here we go again. Let's see what you got for me world. Um, and the fact that the fact that my first AEW outing was at the target center, um, in Minneapolis, like it wasn't a smaller place. It was like the place mm -hmm. in in Minneapolis. Um, it was surreal to be able to go there and be like, okay, here's my chance. We're going to get fingers crossed. We're going to get a match. And when I saw that Fowler was there, I was very excited because there's a lot of people that I knew that were there that day, um, including Jossie. And I thought to myself, I was like, if AEW teams up me and Jossie, when we've already been broken up as vicious and delicious, like we might have to start making some money and get back together. <laughs> um, but he did not team with me. Thank goodness. It was just me and Jay Fowler, um, which is awesome because we had some serious battles ourselves 
for Central Empire Wrestling. We had a huge series of matches for a long time because he was the buns of steel and I was the six star booty. So we had the battle of the booties there for at least a good year. Um, But when we got to team up and we got to face the acclaimed, I knew who the acclaimed were. I knew kind of their story up to this point, but I didn't realize like that they were about to like blow up. I didn't realize how close we were to it. And when uh, Bowens and Caster were uh, getting ready to go out and we went out there, like I, I remember getting in the ring with Fowler and looking around being like, hell yeah, here we are. We did it, babe. We got this. And then the Acclaims music hit and it was so loud in there. Yeah. And I think we were, I think we were the last match on dark I, I think so i'm trying to think back to that but that's because, that's how i remember this is where you know on on dark the the crowd was i mean making some noise but then after that match like when they came out had that match they were so hot from then <laughs> until like the very end of dynamite and that's the show where we had yeah, moxley yeah. jericho in the main event like it just i think honestly quick by the lake yes from that point i don't think the crowd quieted down at all so that was but i honestly I, think helped set the tone <laughs> Honestly. I don't think me or Fowler had any idea how over the acclaim yeah. were at that point. Yeah. And when their music hit and the place exploded, I, I I looked at him and I go, dude, we are in trouble. They are over. And so Max comes out and he starts spitting his rap. And <laughs> he says a little bit about Fowler, right? But he distinctly says, looking like a broke ass Christopher Daniels to me. And I go, are you kidding me? Um, and so like when I looked at that whole list of the AEW dark matches, there's a ton of awesome talent. There's a couple great things that you could have done. But whenever I wrestle somebody in these huge opportunities, I always find somehow I think I have the most fortunate opportunity because when I wrestled Rowan, I had a segment that was a it was a match where I lost very quickly, but I also like was in a segment where it was all about me and the character of what's in the cage. And we got to spend like a minute just on me and what I was doing and everything before I got squashed. So like I got to steal this extra time that somebody else might just be like, oh, I'm going to run at you and you're going to kill me and then the match is going to be over. No, I got TV time. I got to be on TV and all those other matches. It's great. It got to show those people how they wrestle. But my match, not only did you get to see us wrestle, but we got rapped about, which means people were talking about two different things. And then somebody made like this awesome compilation on TikTok of their whole rap and different things like showcasing us. And the funny thing is when I went back after I got squashed by Rowan, I was, of course, I went through all the YouTube comments on there. I want to see what everybody's saying about me. And I can't tell you how many times I ran across comments on the original YouTube video where I got crushed with people going, who's this broke ass or who's this wannabe Christopher Daniels? Mm -hmm. People were calling me that before uh, Max Caster did. So when Max Caster called me that, I was like, people have already been saying this man like yeah. my i think my dream matchup at this time is i have to somehow face christopher daniels uh, yeah. to make everything come together full circle 
Um, but wrestling the acclaimed was a blessing in disguise, man. And Fowler's only blown up more since then. I think me and have me and him had uh, some very fortunate opportunities to team up. And I mean, our we have a big match coming up at Bridge City Slam three. We're actually in a triple threat match. It's me, him, and another guy uh, in a steel cage match that's going to main event that show. Um, so the acclaimed separated everything and now we're coming full circle where we're gonna have to go head to head and it's all because you know we got destroyed on aew dynamite or aew dark we could have had a bright future if we would have right. beat the claimed <laughs> oh well jt i've kept you far far too long already but i wanted to kind of just end on you know where people can find you coming up different shows also i know that you <clears> are <throat> active on youtube instagram twitter let everyone know where they can find you Okay, so everybody can find me, hopefully, on almost every single social media platform. I try to be, I try to aspire to be as good as someone like Darren Corbin is. Um, maybe a little bit more time in the business and I'll have that content game down. Um, but for right now, um, the reason you're going to find me at DJ Click and Play is because that's what I was before I was a pro wrestler. I was a DJ and that was my DJ name, DJ Click and Play. And it's spelled DJ, just like the job, C-L-I-C-K, just like you would do with your mouse, the letter N, and then P-L-A-Y. DJ, click and play. Just about on every single thing. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, you name it, I got it. Um, but that's where you can find me. I try to put out at least like one new video on YouTube every single week. I'm trying to get to uh, 450 followers at this point. Once we get there, we'll go for 500 but slowly but surely, just putting some content up. Um, I've started to vlog a lot more on all my matches because I've watched the Major Wrestling Figure podcast and they have some very good vlogs. And I've realized I'm going to try this little thing out. So um, check out my YouTube channel. Follow, follow me on Facebook. Please follow me on Instagram. I would say that's where I'm most active is Instagram. Um, but I also post on Twitter. I post on my TikTok. Um, just different little things here and there. Obviously, like my like most pro wrestlers, you can support me through ProWrestlingTees.com. Um, I have plenty of t-shirts designs that I've put out as much as I possibly can. Um, but my newest t-shirt design features a three-headed cat monster that I'm fighting, which is actually all three of my cats uh, that I've turned into a monster to fight with my mister. So it's there. But... That's where you can find me. Um, if you want to check out promotions that I work for regularly, check out SCW Pro, uh, Central Empire Wrestling, and 3XW Wrestling. But the big event for Central Empire Wrestling coming up is Bridge City Slam, which is in Ottumwa, Iowa on June 3rd, where I have the big match in the steel cage with Jay Fowler and Niles Plunk. And I'm most active in SCW Pro, which is based out of the Quad Cities. We're in the month of May. We have a show May 12th at a local high school, which I'm excited for. And also May 27th will be our first outdoor show of the season where I'm sure I'll be defending my SCW Pro Championship. So DJ Click and Play is where you can find me. Otherwise, just Google JT Energy. You'll find some stuff. But look for the pro wrestler, not the other things you find. Awesome. Awesome. And we honestly, we didn't even scratch the surface. I kept you way too long already. So I'll have to have you back on at some point and we've got a lot of ground to still cover. So heck yeah, man. For, heck yeah. Thank you again for coming on. Thank you.
Thank you for listening. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for adding to the pro wrestling spectrum of fandom and podcasts and everything because there can never be enough stuff because everybody's got a story that they should be telling or listening to. So that way we can all grow ourselves as better human beings. Absolutely. Thanks again. Hope to have you on soon. Thank you. All right. Thank you.